as you're uh, turning back to Ephesians chapter 2. Our title is uh, Made Alive in Christ, which makes you uh, ask the question, well, there's life and then there's death, right? And so what is death? What is death? Uh, death is permanent, right? It's, it's definitive. It's painful. It brings tears. Um, we use it in phrases like, oh, my car died, right? And that's not good. You know, or I, you know, I'm terrible with plants. You know, I, I kill all my plants, right? They're, they're, they die. Or for some of you, the, uh, you know, the Ed Box red ring of death, you know? Yeah, see, the, the younger ones know what that means. It means you just pick up your system and throw it away. It's dead. It's no good anymore. Now, we do have some good concepts of death. We think of things like, oh, you know, this ice cream, you know, so good. I've, I've died and gone to heaven. So it's like, well, death isn't so bad if you go to heaven. Um, but, you know, we have like over 200 uh, euphemisms for the word death. And the main reason is because we try not to think about it. Because most of us understand that well, death isn't good. You know, you pass away, you kick the bucket, you know, we soften it, you know, oh, well, you're going to meet your maker with like, that's a good thing. Um, it is for believers, uh, not so much for those who've rejected Christ. There's the phrase, you know, rest in peace. You know, it's just going to be a nice, peaceful rest. Like it's a really good nap. Um, but what is this? This death, as Satan tends to, he's he's crafty and clever. And in the very beginning, God tells Adam and Eve, if you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. Right. Which gave them the impression that, well, if we eat this, we're going to fall down on the ground and and be dead. And Satan and his cleverness says, no, no, you're, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. He was right, wasn't he? They didn't fall down on the ground and die when they ate the fruit. God was talking about something else, a spiritual death. He's talking about, you know, something that was way beyond their scope and what they could comprehend. And here's the thing. Death is not death. The way we generally think about death, and I would say even many believers, like death is that final, permanent, definitive, you know, you're going to be pushing up Daisy's concept. No, life is eternal. Life is eternal spiritually. And so there is no real permanent death. There, there's there's a, a physical death. And then a resurrection of bodies. Now, the question is, um, are you going to spend eternity in heaven or are you going to spend eternity in hell? And so we want to be alive, right? We don't want to be spiritually dead. We want to be spiritually alive. 
And so one of the great truths that's been revealed to us as Christians, because it's one of the big questions of the world, right? Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? What is this all about? Um, if there is no heaven, if there is no God, then say la vie, live it up now, do what I want. There's no consequences. Um, that's kind of how the world thinks. But the great truth that's revealed to us is that we know that there's life after death. We know that there is either a great, great blessing and reward or an eternal punishment. That, that's a, a gift in and of itself for us to have that, that clarity of understanding that we know that the creator of the universe has designed and made people for a purpose, for an eternal purpose. Uh, heaven and hell are eternal. Um, there is something after this physical death. Uh, death is not death in the general sense that we uh, tend to talk about it. That's why when we look in the New Testament, we see these phrases like, you need to be born again, right? You need to die to yourself. You, you need to be a new creature in Christ. And I love the second phrase to that, in Christ. We don't, we don't want you just being a new creature, a new person. There's a, plenty of, you know, um, uh, you know uh, kind of makeover books and, you know, do better books and that kind of thing. No, unless it's actually in Christ, it, it, it's futile. And so we have the desire then to be born again. We have a desire to have new glorified bodies. That, that's our great hope. And so what we see here in Ephesians 2 is we're going to see that, that Jesus makes us alive. We are not dead. We're alive in Christ. And we're going to see that in three simple ways in just these first 10 verses. We're alive in Christ first um, because of sin. We were dead. So we have to understand what being alive and uh, about what being dead in Christ is before we can actually understand what being alive in Christ is. Uh, we're alive in Christ because of our sin nature. We have a sin nature that um, has a ramification. And then finally, we're made alive in Christ because because of this sin, it's Jesus who raises us up. So how does this work? Well, first of all, we, we learned in Ephesians 1. We spent a couple weeks in Ephesians 1, and we gained some very valuable insights and the proper understanding of what redemption is, right? What our, our salvation is and redemption begins and, and ends with a sovereign God. We are not in control of our redemption. God's in control of our redemption. He sovereignly, providentially is in control of that. Uh, redemption, being that that's what redemption is, is and has been very, very mysterious. Uh, but we have a better understanding of what that is now. And then we know that redemption has a resource. Um, the resource is Christ Jesus. He is the resource. Uh, we're not the resource. He's the resource. And so that's how redemption works. And so we see in um, chapter 2, beginning of verse 1, 
starts with, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And so let's pause here and just kind of take a look at that. First, it begins with, and you were dead. You, you were dead. Why? Why were you dead? Well, because of your trespasses and sins. There, there's a reason why you're, you're dead. Um, trespassing has that idea of, of taking a false step beyond the boundary. And that's why you see signs on property lines. No trespassing. This is my land. Here's the line, the boundary to my land. Don't step across the line. When we think of sin, sin in the Greek has a, a, the, the, the understanding of here's a mark, right? Think of a target. And sin is then missing the mark, missing the bullseye. Here it is. The boundary is set. The line is set. The, the mark is set. And so sin then is, well, you, you miss that mark. Well, by definition, there's a mark. There, there's, there's rules, there's laws, there's ordinances, there's signs, there's lines, there's boundaries that, that we are given and that we need to hit and we need to obey. When you miss them, then you're either trespassing or you're in sin. And so because of that, we're then proclaimed as dead. Uh, Romans uh, 623 explains it that the wages of your sin, the payment that you receive from your sin is death. So what it's saying is you actually on your day-to-day coming and going, your day-to-day activity because of the things that you do when you sin, when you miss the mark, when you cross and trespass the boundary, you earn it. So you've absolutely earned uh, that penalty, which is, again, a, a great clarification for us because we struggle with things like, well, God is providentially in charge. He's sovereignly in control. We see that he picks and chooses uh, those who are going to be in the family of faith. So how do people, how are they not in the family of faith? Because they miss the mark. Because the way they live and their, their, their trespasses, the wages that they would have earned would be death. And that's exactly what we would earn turn if not for the grace of God, which we'll see. And so we're dead. Why? Well, because we are trespassers. We overstep the boundaries. But look what it says. It says you were dead in which you formally walked according to the course of this world. And so we see that, well, wait a second, time out. We're addressing the church and, 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 the, and it's like, now, now you, you were trespassers. You, you used to walk this way. So we're no longer addressing you as as continual sinners. Like this is not 
the current pattern of your life. That's the way you used to be. You're not like that anymore. And so the idea of formally walked, again, the real Greek meaning for that is it, it, it's a going full circle. So, so you've, you've turned your ways, right? You, you don't do that anymore. That, that's the idea of, of formally. We see here that these, these action verbs of, of formally and were have, have the idea of, look, it, it's no longer that way. In, in the Greek, they use these verbs that are like, well, this is a temporary, right? Temporary thing. And then this is continuous, never-ending action. So when we're exhorted, like in a way that says, hey, you know, you, you were formally, you, you don't do that anymore. It's continuous in its action. It's not, it's not just a temporary thing. I kicked the ball. It's just, it's, it's temporary, right? I, I did it now. It, I don't continually do it. Um, I stopped kicking the ball is more along the line of, of the continuous action. And so we're no longer, no longer are we, as described in Romans 6, then slaves to this trespassing and this sinning. No, we're not, we're not slaves to that any longer. We may sin, we may miss the mark, but it's not in that continuous action anymore. We have come full circle now. Now we're slaves to serve obedience, not disobedience. We see that the standard then is you, you, you formally walked according to the course of this world. I, I love the phrasing there, uh, the course of this world, right? The world has a, a, a course, um, the way of the world. We see the way of the world, 1 John 2.16, which again is, is referenced here uh, with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. Uh, we see in Matthew 7.13 that, that there's a, a wide gate, right? There's a big, broad, wide gate and then a narrow gate where the righteous go. And, and the wide gate is a path, is a track, is a course to destruction. Paul describes it this way that, look, we're in a race. We're, we're on a course in a race to, to, to finish the race strong. Again, in Philippians 3.12, Paul says, like, I forget what lies behind and I look forward to what lies ahead, pursuing the prize of the upward calling, right? He's, he's going to stay on this, this new course. Well, there's a, an old course. <laughs> there's an old course that was the course of the world. Um, the course of the world is the path that leads to destruction, right? We, we don't want to be on that course. We, we don't want to be on that track. We know what happens behind door number three. We know where that path leads. We know when you go with this group, we know what that group does. We know when you hang out in this place, we know what they do at that place. And so we're, we're, told here that, look, you, you used to walk, and the idea of walk here is the way you live, right? It's your actions, the way you live. You, you used to walk according to the course of the world. The world's on this side, the Lord's on that side. Um, 
we really see this battle, especially in uh, in the youth and young adults, right? Especially, you know, you get in the high school years, get in the college years, young adult years, and it's like, you know, your, your parents and church, they say, look, this is the way you're supposed to live. And the world is telling you, no, 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 that's all wrong. You got to go this way. This is the fun way. This is the exciting way. This is the, this is the way we're all doing it. Everybody's doing it this way. It's great. It's awesome. You're going to love it. It's fun. It's the Pinocchio lie. And they all end up looking like donkeys. The course of the world led by, according to the prince of the power of the air. Um, the world lies in the power of the evil one. First John 519. And I love the way it's phrased. It, he, he's the prince of the power of the air. He's not the king, but he is given this temporary rule over the world. And so there are those who then follow their master and follow their master's course and path. And they're now referred to as the, the sons of disobedience. Again, a, a direct uh, correlation opposite to uh, Romans 5, where we're the sons or, or, or we're slaves of obedience, not sons of disobedience. And so here we are in this, and here were we in this state of, of death. We were dead. Why? Because of sin because of trespassing, willful trespassing. Because of our sin, the world's sin, the, the satanic sinful influence and paths, because of that, we're all doomed to death. Well, we see that Jesus makes us alive in Christ even despite and because of our sin nature. So not only do we have all this going against us, right? The, the way of the world, but we have a, a sin nature in us. What, what does that look like? Verse three, among them too, all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature by nature, children of wrath, even as the rest. Wow, that's, uh, that's scary. So our nature, our nature is children of wrath. Again, the way of the world, the world likes to say this. No, 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 you're, you're good. You're, you're a good person. You should follow your instincts. You, 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 you should live according to your laws and your ways. Be autonomous, right? Why would you want to follow somebody else's rules? You see that being challenged, right? Again, in the begins in the home with, with children and their parents. Um, well, our, our, the nature that's within us is to rebel. It's to rebel. And we don't like that. A lot of us fight that. No, no, no. 
I'm not saying I'm, I'm amazing and awesome, but I'm not evil. I'm not bad. I was just asking somebody this on Friday. I asked them, do you think you're good or bad? And they're like, hmm, let me think about that. And, and again, it's, well, we tend to think and we like to go to, we have some of our, our like pet answers. Well, I'm not, a, I'm not an axe murderer. And, you know, I've never committed adultery, so I'm good. Well, again, that's not the standard. You and I, we don't set the standard of what's good. The standard of, of what's good is set by God. And that perfect and holy standard is set to absolute perfection. And if you've broken one, you're no longer good. But it's even worse than that. Because of our nature. Well, the scriptures say, the scriptures say in Psalm 51 that we're conceived in sin. So that means that conception, well, we, again, we get that concept and that idea is through the bloodline, through the very bloodline that's extended to family, sin runs through our veins. And so in, in, in the womb, we're, we're conceived in sin. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, you are desperately sick and wicked. Well, I don't like that. I'm not that bad. God says, you are desperately sick and wicked. God says, I am desperately sick and wicked. And when we're challenged by the standard of God, we are. Just take a look at that Proverbs 6. These are the six things that I hate. An abomination to God, low seven. And they're not the normal things that you and I would judge as desperately sick and wicked. They're things like pride, causing strife, gossiping, lying. If you're innocent of those things, I apologize to you right now. But I would bet at all that you've been guilty of those things for a long time. Because in the nature of who we are, it's to sin. Romans 3.10 again lays it out. There's none righteous, no, not one. Not one of us in this room. Not one of us are righteous. No, not one. Romans 3 goes on to say in verse 23, all have sinned. All have missed the mark and fall way short of the glory of God, the perfection of God, the holiness of God. We've all fallen short. Romans 5 again is, it describes it this way. While we were helpless, not even our fault, right? Conceived in sin, little babies, little kids. When we were helpless, um, when, when we were, were, we were sinful, we were ungodly, and that made us enemies of God. And it was when that happened that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Not when you were, you know, not helpless and you, you, you sorted it all out, right? People think that, oh, I can't go to church. Uh, you know, my life's a little messed up. I'm going to fix my life and then come to church. No, that's not how you come to church. You're, you're not cleaned up, fixed up. You are ungodly enemy of God. Come on in. The water's fine. And then be willing to be transformed because we see this word were. We 
were by nature. We talked about that already a little bit. Were is a continuous past action. Were, that was the way it used to be. I was like that. By nature, I was formally walking in the path on the course of the wicked. I don't live that way anymore. I was formally living that way. I was formally living by the lust of my flesh. I was formally living, indulging in the desires of my heart. That's the way I used to live. I used to allow my mind to be controlled by its sinful desires. I don't do that anymore. I fight against that sinful nature that's in me. People ask all the time, you know, we have a huge debate right now, right? Something like homosexuality. Were, were they born that way or not? Yeah, they're born that way. They're born to sin. And somebody else was born to be an adulterer. And somebody else was born to be a fornicator. And somebody else was born to be a thief. And somebody else was born to be a liar. And somebody else was born to be arrogant. These are all just different sins that we all have to fight against. There's not one that's worse than the other. You have to repent against it and follow Christ and be transformed and conformed by the renewing of your mind. And so, yeah, you're born that way. So what? You do not get to continuously live that way. Why not? Because God said so. Because God knows best. Because God knows what the perfect design and set up, not only for, quote unquote, the family, but for the community and for the world. This way works better. Are there anomalies? Are there different things that tend to happen? You know, somebody dies and whatnot? Yes. But this is God's design. Not my design. God's design. He's perfectly clear about it. And so Jesus makes us alive, even though despite our sinful nature. And if you have forgotten, you are just like the rest. Because somewhere as we're reading these things, sometimes we, we, we get this kind of proud puffed up thing. Yeah, those guys. Yeah, they used, yeah, them, that, right? And you're, you're pointing the finger and it's like, and I love when the Bible does that. Don't forget, just like you were. Just like you were. Now, why does God do that all the time? Because one of the things he hates is pride. One of the th things he hates is when we boast about ourselves, especially spiritually. It's like, you have nothing to boast about. And he'll, we'll go on and look at that in a little bit. But it's just this constant reminder. Look, we have to fight pride. We have to fight arrogance. We have to remain thankful and grateful for what Christ has done for us. We're no different than anybody else. We are by nature sinners. We were dead in the trespasses of our sin. We were born with a sin nature, but we have the ability now to put that behind us and move forward to what lies ahead. So we don't have to remain in the past sin and overdwell on that. We can conquer and fight and move on. It's a humbling thing. And in God's infinite wisdom, he reminds you of who you are, stay humble, but encourages you 
to press on, right? So we tend to like want one or the other. Always, don't ever forget who you are. And then that just keeps you, you know, like, you know, just a beat down dog. Or you're great and awesome. You're going to heaven. And you forget that, well, wait a minute. You're, you're actually not so great. Um, and so finally, we see that Jesus makes us alive in Christ because, and the way he does that is, is Jesus raises us up. What, well, what does that look like? Um, but God, but God, I love these transitions. Okay. This is the way it was. You, you were dead in your sin. You were on that bad path. You were a son of disobedience. You did indulge in the desires of the flesh. You did allow your mind to, to wander. You were by nature, a child of wrath, but, but hold on, but God being rich in mercy. Why? Because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, transgressions made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And so we see that, look, even though we were dead, we were literally, you know, that, that phrase in, in, on death row, dead man walking. That guy, he's walking around, but he's a dead corpse just waiting for the time to where, you know, they, they pull the plug on him, right? That's how we all were. But God, remember we studied a couple weeks ago, being lavishing us, this luxurious richness, wealth of mercy. Mercy, again, not giving you what you do deserve. Mercy, you deserve the wages of your sin, death. You deserve the whooping. You deserve the punishment. We, we deserve for God to pour down rain and flood us to death again. We deserve to be licked up by fire like Sodom and Gomorrah. We deserve that. We deserve to be dispersed and separated like the Israelites. That's what we deserve. But God doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us instead mercy, luxuriously. We, we sang about this. How do we know what love is? Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. This is how we know what love is. Love isn't just a word that we use for Snickers bars, right? L love was the, the sacrifice of, of the father sacrificing his only begotten son for God. So loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That's how we know what love is. You want to see love? You want to understand love? Here's a sacrifice that, that is being made. Give everything you have. That's what God does. He gave his only begotten son. That's the power to make us alive. God, rich in his mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins. We weren't just dead. We didn't just die, sweet, you know, old, 
you know, little lady and, you know, cute little old little couple. No, you died in your sins. When we were dead, dead, he made us alive. This again is why resurrection is so important for us to understand. This is why Easter Sunday, we, we, you have to understand this. If Christ remains in the grave, then you remain in the grave, right? If, if, if there's no resurrection of the body, if, if the son of God isn't resurrected, then you're not resurrected. But because the Son of God is resurrected, and then he shows us, oh, and when you're resurrected, there's a new glorified body, we too are going to follow that pattern. It was a great picture, and, and, and it was prophetical of what's going to happen with us. And this was God's plan, that he was going to raise us up with him. And because we're adopted sons and heirs, seat us with him. We're, we're not just like in heaven. We're in heaven with him as an adopted son. Again, with and in Christ Jesus, not because of anything that we've done. There's nothing here that's indicate that we've done anything yet. Nothing. Verse 7, in order that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace. So first we saw what grace was, not getting what you do deserve or mercy. And now we see grace is this gift, this free gift. So not getting a spanking is mercy. Getting something that you don't deserve is grace. In kindness towards us. God loves us so much. He's so kind, right? What's, what's the, the big lie? God is angry. God is mean. God is unfair. These are blasphemous lies from the pit of hell. God is loving. Prove it. God loved us and sent us his son. He died on the cross to pay for our sins. God's not kind. Oh yeah? Prove it. God's rich in lavish, in mercy, and in grace. See, we have answers to these questions. And this is the power by which we're resurrected, is this love that even when dead, even in sin, with Christ, we have the ability to make alive. With Christ, we have the ability to be raised up, to be seated for all ages to come, forever, eternally. This isn't a temporary blessing or gift. This is the great hope. This is the great promise for ages to come eternally. And this is the process in which God displays his kindness. So, verse 8 9, for by, how, how, does, how does this work? Here's the great mystery. How, lock it down for me. So, by grace, you're saved. Let's be crystal clear. You have been saved through faith. So again, this isn't a theological exercise or an apologetic exercise of proving to you. This is still by faith, right? The assurance of things not seen, the conviction of things hoped for is, is defined in Hebrews. 
by faith we understand that our salvation comes by grace and that it's not of our own it's a free gift it's and i love what it says here it's not a free gift it's the gift it's the gift every christmas or birthday there's like there, there's like one gift right it's like it's the gift this is the gift the gift that saves our souls from the pit of hell and here's god again reminding you because right about this time it's like yeah i don't know maybe i did a little something to deserve this gift right i've been i've been a good boy you know no it wasn't a result of works so nobody should be arrogant. Nobody should brag. Nobody should boast. This should be marked by humility. One of the beautiful things about getting a gift at Christmas time or a birthday, it's the people who give the gifts. People give gifts not because they have to, but because they love you, right? They, it's an expression of thoughtfulness, of care, of generosity. And so people bring gifts because, because they love you. And so could you imagine at the end of, you know, like a birthday party and all these gifts? Yeah, I earned them. I was so good to you that, in fact, I'm wondering why I didn't get a bigger one. <laughs> or, you know, it's like, no, we, we don't walk away boasting. We walk away humble, Right. Isn't it humbling to like, you have like, especially Christmas, everybody gets gifts. So, you know, but in your birthday, it's like, you're the only one that walks out with gifts. It's humbling. It's very humbling. Um, why? Well, there's a purpose here. We're saved by grace through faith. It's not yourself. It's, it's an undeserved lavish gift. Um, it should be marked by humility. But look, there's a purpose. We are his workmanship. He's the potter, we're the clay. He, he molds us, he conforms us, he shapes us into who we are. Created in Christ, why? For good works. You have been born and made for a purpose, for good works. Not just to be saved, but, but to then take that and then go and, and be his workmanship. Um, there is great responsibility with, forget great power, with, with great grace. When you've been given great grace, there is a great responsibility to then go and present yourself, as Romans says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice my, 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 my sacrifice my offering to the Lord is me Lord do what you can that's why we're all blessed with spiritual gifts different and unique gifts it's beautiful we all come together and share those gifts we give them to one another um, we're his workmanship Acts 9.15, we're, we're instruments in his hands. We're, we're different tools. Uh, one of the things when you, you know, build or make things, you, you got to have the right tools, you know? Uh, when, when you're a little kid, you don't understand these things, you know, Phillips head and flat head, 
right? It's just like, well, whatever, just grab a screwdriver. It's in there, you know, what do you do? You end up stripping, stripping the, the screw because you got the wrong tool and it doesn't open it up. You got to have the right tool. And the right tool then could be used for absolutely beautiful and amazing things. We're his workmanship created in Christ for a purpose and a reason to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should live by them. God has planned and prepared before the beginning to have you for a purpose, for goodness, for goodness, for his goodness. And so we walk by living obediently. We're made alive through this resurrection power. Sin makes us dead, but his death makes us alive. It's an absolutely beautiful picture of how we once in the past were, but now we've been born again. We were dead with no hope. Dead is dead. Dead is a doornail, right? We were sinful, no hope, but we were raised up with Christ. We will be made alive in Christ. And so our redemption, our, our salvation, our resurrection is, is a gift from God that begins now in the newness of our life in Christ. And so as a church, as an individual, we formally may have walked according to the course of this world, but now we walk in a manner worthy of the calling of Christ. Let's pray. Lord,